So over the last several weeks, as we've been rolling out this uh, Taking Ground campaign, Impact, uh, you have heard from some of our, uh, I've been calling them all pro lineup of ministry partners. And we really do have, uh, just by God's grace, God's given us some partners that are doing uh, phenomenal work all around the world. And um, you've got to meet them every week. And this week, uh, rather than me interview them, we just decided to give uh, Martin the floor. Martin, for some of you, uh, you know him. He's been helping us for almost two decades to uh, be the church that God has called us to be. He's been a mentor uh, to me, a mentor to a lot of us as elders and, and leadership. And uh, we love Martin, and hopefully uh, you will just give him a big welcome. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. you are a giving place, and I want to say thank you as one of the partners that you have. I always like to give a report like this because it's almost like when you're sitting in road construction endlessly annoyed and all of a sudden there's a sign that says your tax dollars at work <laughs> and you go, can we see some outcomes? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna give you an outcome. And last year, Global Leadership um, began to see even additional things happen. We saw nearly 50,000 leaders at things where we got to develop them all the way from leadership skills to issues of soul care. Got to see thousands of people come to Christ, literally. And uh, just one of the fun ones, just uh, in the fall, a couple of months ago, I got to do a two-day preaching conference with all of the Methodist ministers of all of Ireland. And it was, uh, it was interesting. The church in Ireland is not always at its strongest, and particularly with uh, traditional places like Methodism. I told them on the last two hours of the final day we were going to save time to quit talking and said, by your tradition, there was the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit, and it feels like it's been a while. So we're going to take the two final hours and pray the empowerment of God's Spirit back into the Methodist church. And it came in great strength. So we're looking forward to some great outcomes. Thank you. Yes. We'll do six weeks, uh, our winter, their summer in Western Australia. Western Australia is a place where less than 1% of men will go to church of any sort. So outside of the Middle East, it is the greatest unreached mission field for men on the planet. I get some pushback because they go, you always go to Australia, like in the winter. Uh, do, do I look stupid to you? I mean, <laughs> besides, it's when I get invited. But the, uh, the venues this year are just remarkable. I get to do three national conferences for ministers there. We have a series of outreaches planned where we're not just doing them, but we're bringing younger ministers in to show them how to actually do these. We're training and developing them for outreach. And it's a fun places like the Royal Yacht Club and places because they won't go to church. We take it where they are. And also I get to have one installment on Parliament floor. So God's grace has just been quite amazing for us. So thank you. Thanks for the partnership. One of the things I decided a long time ago is rather than going to speak at various places where the invitations came, I'd rather go back to some of the same ones. A, to report in, and B, just to see how much you're developing. 
There's some good stories here, you know that. In 20 years, there's some good stories. So if yours is lagging behind just a little, and you know it, it's time to sign up today. Do I want to be one of those that the story begins to unfold? Every time we reach an event, like the end of a year and a New Year's, it's always a good thing to close out the old one and welcome a new one, but to give it with some intentionality, not just with a fun hat or an ugly sweater, or have, a, have somebody either a cool, fun, hot beside you that you get to welcome in the New Year with, but there's probably a little more to it than that. To actually take stock and go, what was the best part of 2017? What was the toughest thing? Is this a year I don't want to repeat? Or is it a year that I wish could continue on longer? And part of it's prepping for the next one. What's sort of a one-word focus that would help me move into this next year well? Last night as I came to the service, a couple of the people said, what are you speaking on? And I told them, and I waited for the look, and I got this funny look. They said, I, I think you spoke that here one other time. I said, yes, I did. And then there was a dead, uncomfortable silence, <laughs> sort of like right now. <laughs> I said, there are messages that you don't just hear them. You implement them. They become a part of your life, part of your narrative, part of when your life unfolds. It's part of the story that's told of you or your own story if you want to tell it. So unapologetically, I'm going to bring a variation of something that some of you listened to once but may not have heard it. So I want to bring it back. As a young minister, I did something that no young minister should ever do. Actually, I think I did a number of those. But one in particular is I preached the exact same sermon three Sundays in a row one time. After the service, of course, the elders were all right there. And they said, what, what are you doing? And I said, you've listened. But I think this is the primary message for our church, and I'm not sure we've heard yet. So I'm going to keep preaching the same one until it feels like you get it. Okay, message received. And I said, are you sure? Because I'm ready to do it again, if you want. We can, we can keep doing this. Actually, there's a great tradition I want to tell you about. It's the Apostle John. Tradition has it that the Apostle John, who of course was one of the, the disciples and the oldest of the living disciples, because he was the one who had been with Jesus from the beginning, he had this high status in the church. And so very often... Whenever John was present in the service, as tradition goes, they would say, Brother John, do you have a word for us? A word from the Lord? Do you have a word for us? And according to tradition, John always did the same thing. He would stand. He'd lift his hands and his face and his eyes towards heaven. And he would say, look, my children love one another. As the story goes... John never had a fresh thing. He always said the same thing. And so it got where, yeah, let's not ask John because he's getting kind of old and he always says the same thing. And so they didn't want to talk about him because he was revered. He had been with Jesus. And so finally he was asked one time, John, why don't you ever have a fresh word? 
He said, why would I ever give a fresh one until we fulfill the first one? So maybe John was on to something. So I'm going to come and stand alongside John today and say, let's take a fresh look at what it's like when we actually see how to press on and in to what Christ has for us. In Philippians chapter 3, where we will look this morning, the first part of chapter 3, the writer of this letter refers to himself as Paul, one of the noted writers of the Newer Testament. And he gives his background. I always like it when a writer says, finally, and then they won't stop. <laughs> but Paul's a master at that. He's only halfway through and he says, finally, and then I don't want to be one of those speakers, so I'm not going to say finally until we're right at the end, and that way you can time it as we get there. So in Philippians 3, he begins to tell his own story. It's a, it's a story of how he has gotten perspective on his life, perspective on God, perspective on all of faith as well. And he gives in great detail what his life was like. Now, most of the time in churches like this, the speaker would give you incredible details about what all these Jewish things meant that Paul would say. And you would learn far more about what it was like to be a talented and passionate young Jewish lad who uh, emphasized circumcision and everything else. You, you would learn far more than you wanted to. You would go, thanks, but I kind of didn't need to know all that. We're not going to do that this morning. As Paul unfolds this, he tells about his own life and all these traditions he went through because that was his life. So I want you to look at, as we press on, you've got to deal with those personal factors of your own life. Everybody's got a life narrative. Everybody's got a story. I discovered probably 30 years ago that for someone like me, the best way to engage in conversations about life and faith was to just sit and talk to somebody and say, tell me your story. And they'd go, what, what do you want to know? I said, tell, tell me what you want me to know. Just start. If it's a little dry, I'll go like this. If I want to know more, I'll stop and ask a question. Just tell me your story, because everybody's got a story. It was fascinating with people you'd never met as they began to unfold their story. Now, one of my students came back and he goes, that thing doesn't work. John Walker was a fascinating chap. He was a retired police officer. He stayed in great shape. John was probably about 6'4 and about 220. African-American guy with a deep voice. He'd been a detective. He said, when I ask people the same thing, they get up and run. I said, okay, John, look at you. Shaved head, intense, police detective. And when you say, tell me your story, <laughs> it's not very welcoming, John. It's just... It looks like a little too intense. Even if they didn't do anything wrong, they felt like they needed to confess something. The personal stories are just a part of how we live and love and work out all of life together. But as Paul's unfolds, he tells it with great religious factors. Now, for some of you, that's a part of your story. For some of you, it's not. I did not grow up around faith, did not grow up around church. 
Diane and I came to faith on the same day, had one child and one on the way. As our story unfolded, it, we discovered that's a bit of a rare story. Apparently not that many people who are married get to come to faith on the same day together. It was unique to start not just life, but start a new life together. Paul says, as you're going to press on with this thing with God, you've got to deal with just not personal factors, but how faith fits into this. And then all of personal value as well. I do intentional mentoring groups. As a matter of fact, I have to catch a flight this afternoon to get back. And within an hour and 15 minutes of the time I land, I will have 31 people at my house. My house is not big enough for 31 people. It's an intentional mentoring group. The youngest, I think, are 26. The oldest would be late 30s. I intentionally invited 31 because I thought not all of them would come, and all of them came. And I thought, we'll be fine. Some of them will drop out. None of them have dropped out. So I have a living group that comfortably seats about mm, tight 14. And there's 31. And they won't leave. I said, some of you don't have to come back. And they go, okay, you don't come back. We want, we want to come back. Nobody cares about the space because we're dealing with their life and how do they move to the next level. And there are all sorts of professionals. We've got a couple of young PhDs. We've got some people who are grad students. We've got a wide range of people. They come from, um, I think we have 11 culture groups born in 14 countries there. We even got a Palestinian group from the West Bank, a Palestinian couple. Wide range of people. What we're trying to help them do is connect the dots of their life so they understand the personal value they have, the values they've embraced, and how they connect them. My job is to not be kind to them. I said to them, this is not, do not call this a small group. It's not. It is an intentional developmental mentoring group. My job is to not make you feel good. My job is not to make you feel better. My job is to make you better. And so you will feel like I mean. I won't like it. I may appear to, but I won't like it. But I will say the toughest stuff to you to help you get there. So last week there was a woman and a man. Um, she was 36 or so, professional. He was actually um, had a key position at Merck. And I challenged both of them that they needed to get far better insights into their personal life and begin to connect the dots of their life. Their self-awareness needed to increase. And both of them pushed back at me. The guy especially said, Martin, I think you've missed something here. He said, on my team, and I run a large team, he said, they always tell me on all the assessments and in the workplace, I'm the most self-aware person as a part of the entire team. And I listened for a moment, and I said, good. He says, is that all you're going to say? I said, yep, you are very, very self-aware of the things you're aware of. <laughs> However, you've got three key blind spots, and you're, out, you're not aware of them. And those are the ones that are going to derail your life. And if you're as smart as you think you are and say you are, it's time to pay attention to those. See, if we're going to press on, this awareness becomes so crucial. The phrases that run in their head, the things you avoid, the things that are actual blind spots. So, according to this text, Paul says, I need to press on. There's this intensity piece, but it's also clearly an purpose. He's not just intense, 
It's for a purpose. It's a focused desire. And as we'll see in just a moment, his goal is for this upward calling he has in Christ. Let's read verses seven and following because there's a a continuation of the text with a mild shift that comes in. Paul has just again told his own story and narrative of his life. And then he says, but whatever was gained to me, I now have to consider to be lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them, and he uses this odd word, garbage. Garbage, rubbish, trash. If you're an old SNL fan, crap. It's the stuff you step on. It's the stuff on the ground. It's the stuff that doesn't matter. You don't pay attention to it. So he's saying all the things that sometimes you think are important may, maybe aren't. And I've come to grips with that. I've considered those things rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found him in, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law and following religious traditions, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on a basis of faith. Now the passion begins to really come through. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate with him in his suffering. I want to become like him in his death so that somehow, somehow I can attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm not there yet. He makes it clear. I'm not there yet. But I'm not just talking big either. I've not attained yet. I've not arrived at my goal. But I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold for me. Brothers and sisters, he wants to include us all. I don't consider myself as gotten there yet. But this one thing I do, this one thing. Let's push pause for a minute. Both Testaments use this phrase, this one thing. If some of you were to make a list of the things you hope are different in 2018, some of you would have 20 things on your list, wouldn't you? You can't handle that many. So let's fix that one thing. This one thing I do, I'm going to forget what lies behind me, and I'm going to move ahead, and I am going to press on. I am going to press on towards the goal when the prize for which Christ has called me the heavenly places. I will press on. I'm pressing on that upward way. He makes this so clear. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I have. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm going to press on. Now, a number of you have commented that I'm moving better and I don't have a stool. Thank you for noticing. Um, It's been a very nice fall throughout the Northeast, and I understand here in your region of the world as well. A couple weeks ago, I had morning appointments, and I had afternoon and evening appointments late. But I had middle of the day, and I thought, oh, this is a day for the top down, and go for a drive. And I've got a place near me called Bear Mountain. It's just a little west of, the, of West Point Military Academy. And I got up there, and I thought, 
I'm, uh, I'm mobile enough. I'm going to hike. I've not been hiking for years. used to love to hike, but I thought I'm going to try this. So I found a spot and began to hike. And, and I looked at my watch. I knew how much time I had, and I thought, I can do this. Got partway to where I was headed, and I stopped. It was a great view. I sat there for a while with the sun. It was one of the last great days of the fall sun. I thought, I'm just going to soak it up. There's still enough leaves on these hills. I can do that. Sat there for a little bit, and then I looked up. There was a spot I could see. I thought, if I climb there, the view's going to be even better. So I did. And it was a little awkward. I've got this one ankle that doesn't work well. Had a hip replacement earlier this year. Um, I have a really cool, giant, titanium hip joint. Sometime I'll just have to bring the x-ray and put it up there. It's like ridiculously large. I said, is this, is this bi- bionic? Is this industrial strength? What's the term for this thing? <laughs> and I thought, I-, I can make it up there. And I got there and sat down. It was, oh, it's an amazing view. And again, sat there for just a little bit. And then I thought, there is the peak. <laughs> I don't think I can make it. Yeah, it was getting a little painful. I took on a little too much. I thought, I don't know what the path's like. I thought, come on. I've never been one to sit there anyway. Let's do this. Shouldn't have physically. But got there, folks, it was remarkable. I saw the place where the Catskill Mountains begin to unfold into the Adirondack Mountains, and I could see the ranges lining up. And there were enough leaves on the trees This was a majestic view. I thought it would have been so much easier to stay where I'd been. The view was pretty good. It was comfortable. It was actually more comfortable. Thought right in my head. The difference will always be worth the distance. Come on. Come on. So with great passion, Paul says it this way. I'm going to press on, but he doesn't stop there. Because if you're going to press on, you also then have to press in. Pressing in is one that we get a little more uncomfortable with. You see, we can sing songs of great passion. I'm going to press on the upward way. I'm going to come to you, Jesus. I'm going to walk with you. We do those. But then sometimes it requires us to go the additional steps. And so pressing in becomes the tough part. And the pressing in, it's both soft and intense. It is both. It's both. It's resting, but pressing. It's like being engaged in something that you have to stay focused on or want to stay focused on. And in order to press in, it's about expanding your capacity. My friend, colleague, and uh, global associate Rob Reamer was here a while back. Some of you were with him in a seminar His book on soul care, highly recommend. But his analogy is your soul is like a suitcase. And you have to clean out the things that don't belong there so that there's room and space for more of God, more for the best of what he has for you. Clean it out so that he can fill it up. It's that expanded capacity. But if we're going to press in, what do we press into? We press into the heart of the Father. We press into the Father of your soul. You press into him. His absolute heart 
is absolute love. If you're going to press into the Father's love, you've got to identify those places where it's hidden. Talked about the two people in my mentoring group. They were very aware of the things they were aware of. Those are things they weren't aware of. They were going to limit them and hold them back. It's as you press into him, you begin to identify what those are. Sometimes it's your own awareness comes, and sometimes it's just the word of the Spirit that goes. I'm going to address this one. Will you partner with me? And some of us find ourselves subtly resisting. And some of us go, no, let's go after this one. I want to talk about the false bottom. Now, let's have the heart, can we? Bible talks so much about the heart. Above all else, the Proverbs say, above all else, guard the heart. Not guard it like be protective of letting things in, but protect it against the tough stuff. But you guard the heart and save it for the best stuff because it says it's the wellspring of life for you. Both Testaments, let's make this so clear we can't miss it. Both Testaments say to do these things like loving God with all your heart. For most of us, it's the part that's not accessed that will become the limitation. There's all sorts of descriptors for hearts like this. Sometimes the heart's protected. Sometimes it's hardened. We run into people in a variety of places around the world, both genders. It seems to fit a lot more men than women sometimes where you have an underdeveloped heart, a capacity that's just underdeveloped. Some it's atrophied, deflated, discouraged. Some of you who've lost it, love, broken. There's all sorts of descriptors of the heart. But it's how you access what's below this that gives you this capacity for more of God, more strength, more hope, more courage in your life. So that you're not just hanging on. You are pressing on and pressing in. I want to tell you a fun story about one of my friends. He was given an opportunity to have a trunk that belonged to his grandfather. His grandfather died a number of years ago. When he was young, he spent a lot of time with his grandfather. And the grandmother had just passed away. And the family was dividing up everything. And there was this old trunk. Nobody wanted it. It was kind of nasty. Um, when he said to his wife, I'm going to take the trunk, she goes, you're not putting it in this house. And he said he was intrigued by it because it looked bad and it was really old and it wasn't well made, but it was really heavy. And nobody could figure it out. And he said he wanted it. And they said, well, come get it. He goes, I'm not going to come get it. Ship it to me. And they kept telling him how heavy it was. He said, I got money. Ship it. So he said, I've begun to think about it. And he goes, Martin, this is my grandfather. I had a special relationship with my grandfather. He said, I used to say to my grandfather, can I have one of your knives? Because his grandfather was a farmer. He had just jackknives. He always had one. He said, that jackknife could do anything. It was, he always kept it sharp. It could cut everything. He said, I watched my grandfather one time cut things, bales of hay, all sorts of things. He said, I watched him take that jackknife to the hoof of both a cow and a horse. And then he picked an apple and 
clean. He just took it and peeled it and gave it to me. I said, did he clean it first? He goes, didn't see him clean it. <laughs> said, I used to say to my grandfather, give me your jackknife. And he'd go, someday, someday I'll give you one. When you're older, I'll give you a jackknife. So he said, Martin, if you can, I want you to be here with me when I open this thing up. Because I don't know what's going to be there. And so we got there, and I lifted, it was really heavy. And I said to him, uh, we need to discuss something first. This sucker has a false bottom in it. He goes, what? He said, false bottom. I said, you don't watch CSI shows? <laughs> Come on, there's always something hidden. The hidden stuff is, okay, you go, in, you go into, in a classic, one of these episodes, you go into a jewelry store. There's jewelry. They know there's other stuff there. There's drugs, there's guns, there's something. They can't find it. It's always in a compartment just below the jewelry. It's a false bottom. I said, if this thing has a false bottom in it, we have no idea what's going to be there. And your memories, your grandfather's a great guy. We see below the false bottom. There's one of two things there. It's either treasures or secrets. Oh, when we go back to the picture of your heart, it's what's there. It's the treasures that have never been accessed or the secrets you want to leave in the dark. Always true. So we poked around and found four hidden screws, took them out. Felt like it was on a, like an old Geraldo show where we were going to open up something and only to find nothing. <laughs> and we opened it up. I wish I had a tape rolling so you could see his face. Remember, he'd always ask your grandfather for a jackknife. He opened it up, and on top were 11 jackknives. 11. He only wanted one, and he got 11. And it was so heavy because where his grandfather farmed, there were all these old arrowheads from the Native Americans. And I said to him, you, you've, uh, you've got a small fortune here. And he goes, I've got memories for a lifetime. These won't be sold. This is part of the narrative of my life. He was like a little kid. I only wanted one. I got 11. Let's push pause. As 2018 comes, do not, do not go to the father of your soul with something simple. You think 11 jackknives are cool? Ask him. I run a doctoral program in New York. As I work with all kinds of leaders, I will often talk to often pastors, and they're resistant to come, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of money, they're already busy, and I say to them, just take two days, just take two days, fast and pray, and ask God what he may have for you. I am so shocked at the resistance factor. They're highly resistive. I said, you're afraid of what you're going to hear, right? Yeah. I said, can Besides the validation, because everybody gets validation if they take two days fast and pray. Did you know what the most common response pastors get? You've dreamed too small, and you've trusted me for too little. I don't think it's just pastors. Press on. Press in. There's one more. Press through. We've got to talk about pressing through because pressing through always has to come 
There's part of the human condition that when it takes too long or it's too hard, we slow up the process and sometimes stop. And so much of what God has for you next requires you to press through because it'll take longer than you wish and it'll probably be harder than you hope for. One of the things I love is March Madness. I, I understand in Michigan you have known to have some pretty fair basketball teams here. I've heard. You get to the end of a game. It's the final seconds. And in order to get a win, it is a full court press. You don't even have to know anything about basketball. Full court press is very simple. I am going to do everything it takes, everything in my power. You cannot get the ball past me. Because if you get it past me, there's a shot. You're going to get the advantage and you're going to win. So I will do, and as a team, we will do everything it takes. You can't get that ball past us. That's what pressing through looks like. I will do whatever it takes to break every barrier, break every resistance, break every discouragement to press through. This thing is too big. This thing's too important. This is my life. This is my future. This is my narrative. This is my destiny. This is no time for passivity. So we press through. According to the text, it's our upward calling in Christ. For some of the rest of us who are hoping we get a little more time in this life, it's clearly addressing what is and is not there. I had a fun conversation with my daughters at Thanksgiving. Here's how the conversation went. Dad, we, we love that you've tried to get really healthy, especially since mom's passed. We love that you've done this. We love that you've lost 80 pounds. I went, 85. <laughs> As long as you're going to give me credit, give me full credit. <laughs> and then my youngest daughter, the lawyer, said, Dad, we, we love that you've lost 80 pounds. But one favor, will you please quit celebrating and finish the last 40? <laughs> None of you have called family members like that. <laughs> but I do. I'm going, 80, it's worth celebrating, especially since it's actually 85. Dad, we love it. But come on, buddy. Finish it. You see, mine has physicality to it. For most of you, it's not. I mean, come on, look at you. Yours is about the heart. Yours is about the will. Yours is about following through with decisions. And it's about pressing through when it takes longer than you wish and it's harder than you hoped it would be, press through. If, we, if I was John and I was asked for a word of the Lord for you all, let me tell you what I'd give you. Okay, here's finally, we're on, we're on the home stretch. Look at your watch, it's just a couple minutes. Here we go. Here we go. Get the time. Here we go. If the word of the Lord was to you, here's what it would look like. No one. No one. Absolutely no one has seen the best of who you might be. No one including you. 
No one including the people who love you most. No one including God has probably seen the best of who you might become. Why would you ever stop short? Why would you ever stop short? Say it one more time. No one, absolutely no one, not you, not the people who love you most, not even God as the father of your soul has probably seen the best of who you could become. Don't ever stop short. It's the kingdom. No excuses. No blaming. We press on. We press in. And we press through. One more time. Let's, um, let's, let's go back to the picture. Let's look at this thing. It's got to be opened up. The Bible uses a number of terms, like bringing things into the light. The false bottom has to be brought open because there belongs, hidden in there, one of two things. It's either the treasures of your life or it's some secrets of your soul. One needs to be dealt with and put behind and the other needs to be embraced and run with it. For the last five years, I've had a mentoring group that meets together for, Chris, for New Year's Eve. It's an interesting bunch. We started out together, everybody was young and inexperienced. They have now, in the last five years, gotten hired for key positions. One of our youngest participants when she started with us was a 26-year-old woman who'd suffered terrible abuse when she was young at the hands of another girl. Her life's been updated, changed dramatically. She is now second in charge of a whole mission. And they keep asking her if there's other people she knows can come in because they've never seen anybody this good, but five years ago she wasn't. This group's fun. Here's what we do every year. We pick one word that we're going to focus on for the next year. And then we take time to listen with each other, prayerfully listen to say, is it the right word? Should we sharpen this just a little? Every once in a while, somebody said, I haven't come up with one. We'll listen with you. We'll listen for you. Then before midnight, we take time to pray it into each other. And then when we get together the next year, we rehearse how well we've done with that word and then go the round, next round to get it for next year. These people with just one word focus, one word focus, have come up two, five, some of them ten levels in less than five years. This kind of clear focus. It's one thing I do. Not 20 things I think about. This one thing I do. Just one. Here's how we're going to conclude this service. I want you to think about that one word. Because in messages like this, and every time at the end of the year, there's always something to leave behind, and there's always something to embrace. We've covered three things in this passage. We're going to cover three things in our response. Here's what it looks like. There are some of you that it's time for you to press on. Press on means I got to get up to a level playing field. I've never really embraced Christ as Savior. I've never given control of my life to God. I've spent my time trying to figure out how to cope with this. Some of you have used a regular pattern of excuses or blaming. You seem to confess the same things every time you do communion. Whatever yours is, you're not on a level playing field. You today 
are gonna come to this side at the end. And there's gonna be somebody here to pray with you. You're gonna come with one word and you are gonna press on. There's another group of you gonna come to the middle. I intentionally did this because I don't think there's gonna be as many of you. This is the press in crowd. The press in crowd is gonna be the crowd that says, it's time to jump in with all my heart. And you're gonna come with one word focus. Finally, there's a group of you, you've done pretty well along this line, but you've noticed you've slowed down. It's gotten a little harder or taken a little longer. You're gonna bring one word and there's gonna be somebody standing over here praying. There's no narrative. Their prayers are gonna be 30 seconds or less. And you're gonna press through. Press on, press in, press through. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna pray with you. This time won't take long. And then we're gonna celebrate with a great song. Pray with me, please. Pray with me. Lord, one of the passages of Scripture says very clearly, may you have eyes to see and ears to hear. This morning, for everyone who's here, give them eyes to see the true state of their life in partnership with you. Not too much grace, but a good amount. Give them ears to hear that you want them, the partnership. You'll do it with them in form. So very quickly, just move. There are some here, not everybody, but there are some here that need that one word focus and that short, meaningful, profound prayer. Let's do it today. In your name and under your authority, amen. Press on, press in, press through. Move for prayer if you would like it. One word, one word. 